FromTheHeart.org Radio, in collaboration with Mayo Clinic, you are listening to Mayo Clinic Talks with Dr. Bernard Gersh. Uh, this is Bernard Gersh from the Mayo Clinic, and uh, I'm talking again to my friend and colleague, David Holmes, who um, is going to speak from the standpoint uh, of his role as president of the American College of Cardiology, but particularly in regard to percutaneous aortic valve insertion or TABI. And the college has played a lead role in really how we should disseminate this into the community. David, uh, tell us about what led to the statement that you have published. It's the college, isn't it? The college, the Society of Coronary Angiography and Intervention, and the Society of Thoracic Surgeons about the implementation of TAMI, TAVI into the community. Sure, it's a great question and great lead-in. As we think about new transformational technology, there are several drivers of that. One of the drivers sometimes is, well, you can do it, so you should do it. That's a bad driver. A second driver is to say there is a clinical need that is not being met. And in this particular case, the TAVI or the TAVR field came out of the clinical need that was unmet. We had a class one indication, surgical aortic valve replacement that was very, very good. The problem was that around the world, somewhere between 30 and 35 or 40 percent of patients with severe aortic stenosis were not treated in that way. You looked at those patients and you said, well, why was that? You could say, well, nobody realized that they had it. Some of the time that's the case. You could say, some of the time the patient said, I don't, I don't want to have that procedure. And some of the time the surgeon said, gosh, it's too risky, or the family said so, it's too risky. So let me just put it, uh, go back a step. And that is, before we talk about implementing it into mm -hmm. the community at large, what is our evidence base at the moment? I mean, we have from uh, a number of trials and the partner trials, some pretty clear evidence as to where we know the benefits lie at this point in time. So can you just summarize those sure. for us? The pieces, there are several pieces of information. Number one, we have a single randomized trial. Number two, we have multiple registries from multiple countries and multiple centers that involve about almost 50,000 patients that have had that. The information could so be more of interest, how many TAVIs are done annually in Europe? Uh, it's probably on the order of 10,000, um, and that has increased dramatically so that in Germany, about 30% of all aortic valve replacements are TAVI. 30%. So in general, the pieces of information that we know are these. Number one, in patients who are inoperable, in terms of not being able to have conventional aortic valve replacement, this leads to better survival. Right. The only caveat I'd have there is there's no question about the survival benefit. It's going to be interesting to look for how long those people survive. I mean, we know that uh, we know the 30-day mortality. We know the one-year outcomes. We, it'll be interesting. We postpone death. We mm -hmm. don't prevent it. Mm -hmm. But. That, that, yeah, is that was certainly highly sig significant. In number two, in those patients who are at high risk for surgery, when you randomize them to TAVR, their absolute mortality is not statistically significantly different. They have more strokes, 
um, about twice as many, sort of two and a half to five percent, that sort of range. Still a big problem. It's a huge problem. Um, they have less bleeding, they have less atrial fibrillation. Atrial fibrillation by itself is a component of stroke. And so if the surgical patients get atrial fibrillation, they have more stroke. And so there is a trade-off. That is going to have to be individual. So this is in people with very high Euro scores mm -hmm. or Society of Thoracic Surgeon scores where, they, where the estimated operative mortality is about in the range of 12%. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 12 Although we get the feeling that the scores overestimate that, that the actual operative mortality is less. Clearly, in the partner's trial, the surgeons did better than we thought that they would do. Now, the Euroscore is a different story. There's now an expanded and different Euroscore that's going to come out. That typically overestimates what the mortality so is. So the next stage is now to take the procedure to people who are reasonable surgical candidates. Uh, no, I, th I think that is a next stage. The next stage is to say, how are we going to roll out this transformational technology in the United States okay. or the whole of North America? How Given are we going our cu to current evidence base. Mm -hmm. okay. so, and that's what STS and ACC have been working closely hand-in-hand, -hand, the closest uh, working relationships with a professional society that I've ever seen. So where we have established and published now multiple joint documents and multiple position papers on number one, which are the centers that should be centers involved with this? Not every center should be. Not every center has the experience or the passion to do that. Number two, which patients? You would want to be able to treat patients who are having severe problems and severe or dying of aortic stenosis rather than dying with aortic stenosis. It's a terribly important yes, yes, difference. Absolutely. And so the issue of frailty. And number three, then this relationship is identified uh, working with the so regulatory. It comes up, to go back, it, it comes up with the ICD. The last thing you want to do is take someone uh, who has a very limited lifespan and put an ICD in them and subject them to shocks. Correct. Uh, while they die of heart failure. It's Absolutely correct. The competing risk philosophy, which is important. Mm -hmm. Sorry, yeah. I interrupted no. you. Number three. Uh, number three is that the two societies are working incredibly closely with the FDA and CMS to and have identified then a registry that all patients undergoing TAVI in the United States will be entered into. We will then be able to look at what happens when the device is put in in patients with, say, bicuspid aortic valves or patients who have chronic renal insufficiency who were excluded from the trials so that at the end of a certain period of time we can say the criteria for the use of this technology can be broadened. So when you say your very first point was uh, what centers, uh, can you define the centers? Sure. It's uh, to a certain extent like pornography, you know it when you see it. <laughs> um, no, that's yeah. a, a phrase yeah. that is used. Yeah. What you can say is you want to have expert centers um, expert centers with structural heart disease programs and teams of people. Number two, you want to have expert surgeons that are involved with taking care of high-risk patients. Number three, you want to have interventionalists, not necessarily PCI interventionalists, but people that are involved with structural heart disease issues. We have focused and said one of the metrics for evaluating the expertise of a center of a system is that they do a certain number of PCIs, and a certain number of surgical 
cases as a surrogate for expertise. They have to have then the heart team, which includes primary cardiologists and echocardiographers and non-invasive imagers. You have to have anesthesia people that are trained with very high-risk people. These are about the highest-risk people that have ever been studied in a randomized trial. So you have to have systems of care. And so the surrogates for systems of care are, number one, some institutional performance criteria, number two, right. some individual performance criteria and expertise, both surgeons and the interventionalists. So make sure that, again, the goal of this is to have an expert procedure in an expert institution by expert people in the great and is right your, patients. is your concept also that within that institution, the procedure will be concentrated? Absolutely. Because, after all, this Absolutely. is one point we made with the hypertrophic cardiomyopathy guidelines that have just come out, that hypertrophic cardiomyopathy needs to be treated in centers that have a major interest in this. That's exactly right. You need to be passionate in terms of your keenness to make sure it's done well, to study it, evaluate, to problem solve, to make it even better. So the other thing that's come out of this, which I think is very encouraging, is the concept, again, that you mentioned of the heart team. It is nice that we're working with our surgeons. We're not competing with this new technology, that we're working with them. The and heart uh, team concept is an interesting one. Team approached management decisions have been around in medicine for a long time. They are the basis of things like malignancy with tumor boards. Uh, they are the basis for heart transplant teams, for lung transplant teams. In the past, however, from the standpoint of revascularization and some structural heart disease, we haven't been teams. No, this come, heart team concept here. started with syntax trial and has been emphasized and is now part of the official guidelines. So the European guidelines and the American guidelines both call for the concept of a heart team to be involved surgeons, interventional cardiologists, primary care cardiologists, making sure that all of the data is reviewed and that the appropriate recommendation is given to the patient who can then make the decision. David, lastly, um, right now, TAVI in people with degeneration of prior bioprostheses, where does that sure. stand? It's a great question. So it's called valve in valve. Yeah. It's been, it has been reported I know we, in we, we've small been used numbers. to the melody valve, but mm -hmm. that's really for the pulmonary. It's been... Uh, it's been used and applied in small numbers of patients in Europe, an increasing number of patients, and as well as in Canada. At the present time, we do not have enough information to say that it is a safe and effective. That will be a group of patients that the TVT, the transcatheter valve therapy registry, will track in this country. So the last question I have is you look into your crystal ball. You see a patient who skis and does all the things that are fun in life. He needs an aortic valve. He's 50 years old. He says, I don't, I don't want Coumadin. I don't want any of that stuff. Would you say to the patient, well, we could put in a, a bioprosthesis. There's a 50% chance that you will require reoperation, or it, it will degenerate over the next 10 or 15 years. But by then, we'll be able to put in a transcatheter valve, or is that premature? I think while that may be premature, it is indeed talked about a lot and forms some parts of the practice of medicine. But bioprosthetic valves are better and better and better. At the end of 15 years' time, there's going to be a technology that you'll be able to use. Yeah. 
percutaneously would take care of that. I've discussed it with patients and said I, I, I can't predict, but I think it's part of the individual treatment decision, perhaps. Perfect. Thanks very much, David. You've been listening to Mayo Clinic Talks with Dr. Bernard Gersh. Visit theheart.org to find out more.